Welcome to Graphic Policy Radio, where comics and politics meet. This is your host, Ilana Levin, a.k.a. Ilana Brooklyn of Twitter. And uh, this is the sort of nerd podcast where labor unionists and comic nerds and labor union comics nerds all come together to talk about a massively popular TV show in which a traumatized political refugee forces a whole town to do a lot of emotional labor. And we're all allowed to have nuanced feelings about it. That's right. This is the WandaVision episode. This honestly seems like the biggest TV cultural moment of the COVID era, and I can see why a nation of traumatized people processing their loss while watching television might connect with a TV show about a traumatized woman processing her loss via the medium and tropes of television. Uh, and since it's been at least a week since the show ended, uh, this episode will be entirely full of spoilers. And so some listeners have actually been asking me when Graphic Policy Radio was going to be covering WandaVision. And from episode one, I knew I wanted to wait till the end to do our coverage. And I'm really happy we did because I have an amazing panel assembled today. Joining me for the first time is occasional voice actress and constant Marvel fan, Nikki J. Nikki posts about comics and queer issues at Black Lois Lane on Twitter. In her free time, she's helped organize panels for Geeks Out's annual queer comic celebration, FlameCon. She resides in the American Northeast and with many succulent plants, none of which are named for Marvel characters. Probably. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, I first heard you on Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men and I said, I need her to come on my show. That's a fact. Well, thank you. I was so lucky that I got to go to one of your panels at uh, FlameCon. So I was like, I really want to be friends with her. So I'm really glad to be on your show. Yay! (laughs) Joining me is Diana Hussein. Diana is a Detroit-based communications specialist for the Hospitality Workers Labor Union Unite here. She is at Hey Diana at Twitter. And I kind of think of her as being my own personal antidote to the Wonder Woman 84 movie that I avoided. Welcome to the show, Diana. Well, that is some introduction that I will forever appreciate. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for having me on. I'm really excited. And shout out to our mutual Neil, who suggested to me one day that I should become friends with you. (laughs) Because even just in the introduction here, I'm like super giddy about being on a program like this. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah, like basically, if you're someone who works in labor movement and you're a big MCU nerd, like we should probably talk about that. So, so it's been great to connect. And for my third guest, my third and final guest, Asya Pekovsky is a communications consultant for grassroots and worker advocacy organizations. When she was four, she immigrated to the U.S. with her family as Jewish refugees from the former Soviet Union. She spent her childhood in Ohio and Boston before morphing to New York a decade ago. And it's also totally my fault that she watched this show, but she seems happy about that. So hopefully I'm not on her shit list. Welcome to the show, Asya. Thanks, Alana. Um, I am really grateful to you for watching, uh, for making me watch the show. I feel like I am always months behind uncultural phenomena. And this time I was not, thanks to you. Um, And I'm so psyched to have seen the show and to have the chance to talk about it. So very happy to be here. 
Well, you know, we really have like the full range of experiences around comics and MCU stuff here. Like, you know, both both Nikki and I are like hardcore Marvel experts, although we're not like particularly oriented to the Avengers comics. We like know our shit. We're like from this world. And, you know, we've seen all the MCU Mishigas. Diana is a hardcore MCU person and not as much a comics person. And Asya watch this because I made her. So I feel like we're representing the the different flavors of people who are coming to the show. And it's been so wild to me how everyone has been drawn to it. Like my mom, who I think has watched like two Marvel movies, was um, like, I guess I should watch the show. And I, I told her like, to the extent that it, it fits in with certain kind of general ideas of like a well-made high production budget, thoughtful TV show, yes. But I also couldn't quite imagine the experience of like coming into the show without having had all the prior grounding in the characters. So I guess I want to start with you, Asia. Like, was your entry point into the show that like you were still able to get into it even without having all of that detailed background on things? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I feel like the show spoke to me on a lot of really deep levels. Um, I, when I was watching it initially, the first episode or two, I was like, oh, okay. So I'm like reliving um, a lot of the sitcoms that, that I watched when I was a kid. And they're doing it in really new and sensitive, granular detail. And then I got the point, like episode three or four, I was like, oh my God, this is my entire childhood flashing before me. And then it became really, really interesting. And tapped into a lot of things that I've thought about throughout my life. So I'm excited to talk about those things. Well, I mean, I'm assuming that your childhood flashing before you did not involve actually being in love with <laughs> a synthesoid slash robot man. But like, uh, like, what was the piece that connected for you from your childhood? I mean, I feel like a lot of my uh, early life was spent. So we moved here when I was uh, four years old from the Soviet Union um, from Ukraine and we moved to Cincinnati um, and it was very much this feeling of going from a really bad place um, at least in the imagination of my parents to this kind of perfect happy place um, and there was an evolution throughout the course of my life of questioning that of questioning my childhood how happy it was what were the parts that were actually you know facades that my parents put up for us that just existed and like though I don't know the suburbs of the 90s and I feel like the show went through that exact same progression so it was really fascinating to see a lot of the questions that I've asked myself about um, about like happiness and and how you process grief uh, to see that mirrored on screen. And I thought that, that it was really original and I haven't seen a lot of those questions tackled. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, like Diana, coming at this, like, obviously I knew you were super excited about watching the show, um, but like, what did you connect with first on it? 
Well, I mean, similar to what Asya was saying, that like a lot of it, I felt like related back to my childhood, but in like a completely different way. I grew up probably watching more Nick at Night than I watched more Nickelodeon. And I feel like that was just something that I connected with my parents about who were kind of old school immigrants about that. So I just really actually I enjoyed just the moments that we got to see like, okay, this is why it's sitcoms. And then just seeing Wanda and her family. And sadly, yes, there's war outside of the window, but I just felt like it really resonated with me that that is very true. And I don't know if it's the same for all immigrants, but as the daughter of an immigrant, for sure, those kind of old school sitcoms really resonated in terms of defining our first pop culture experiences. And I did, definitely mm. did feel like I connected absolutely in this moment with just like the the you know experience of grief and the trauma and just how to how to work through it, um, I'm just amazed that it happened to come out in this moment. I don't even know if that kind of that focus on just um, working through grief would have really resonated with people as much as it would have had it not been this pandemic. But I'll say this: a lot of what the show touched on, I feel like I've been working through in therapy myself. And one of the things my therapist has mentioned to me before is like you have to let yourself grieve. And that was really what I felt like the show was about. And I think I saw a meme that said like the episodes were like the five stages of grief. And I'm just like, that mm -hmm. is just incredible because it was so clear the whole time. We knew it was a show about grief, but I don't I don't know, if, at least for me, I didn't like connect that right away that like boom, 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 the one, two, three, four, five, the stages. And at the end, the last episode was about acceptance. And it just was so beautiful. And I was really I was surprised by it in a lot of ways that I didn't expect from the MCU in their first ever attempt at a at a series on Disney Plus. Yeah. Nikki, um, I know you have affections for uh, Wanda as a um, Magneto and um mutant broadly sort of adjacent people despite you know no more mutants like from house of m yeah was this like the wanda story we needed or or how did you feel about it when i first heard the name of the show like when they pitched it um right when disney was like by the way we own marvel now um i was like wanda vit wanda vision really oh okay yeah mm, that sounds great okay thanks guys um, and then by the time I was seeing more of the, the, the shots and stills from the show, I was like, okay, this could be all right. Um, and I think there are so many really amazing things about Wanda and she's been a character for so long that there are huge, um, like hugely interesting arcs that she's been through ridiculous things like, oh, I don't know, being partially raised by a cow lady named Bova or <laughs> mm -hmm. being you know um uh things like that and i was really worried that they were going to completely um focus on either like the the really silly things like that or maybe um i i was i was more sad to see that they kind of uh took away her her jewish heritage and her her romney um heritage um because i do think those are both interesting um parts of her um but I was I was glad with how this show turned out. I think it was actually surprisingly poignant um, and effective in a way that in a world where there's a time changing stone, sometimes the deaths don't hit as hard. And this was a, a moment where they really su succeeded at making death um, and grief feel real and close. And so I was I was glad that they went through this arc for this character and um, I'm liking it. I liked it. 
I mean, it almost makes you resent how little character development that was given to her this entire time till now, right? Yeah. That's true. I mean, it's, I th- feel like yeah. the most we got was uh, she has feelings about uh, paprikash and <laughs> and how it is made. Uh, she has feelings about red jackets. And uh, I, I, th- I feel like I understand the idea um, in the movies that, oh, man, she's the bad lady because she blew up this building. But I think she I, I feel like she kind of did the right thing by trying to move the the blast from the ground up and didn't succeed but i feel like uh, she kind of got it wrong <laughs> yeah i you know for me like i i guess i was going i've been going through sort of um a complicated period with respect to um what i was sort of looking for from the show because mm-hmm. i'm excited to see marvel doing something that is more formally like formal as in the form of it creative and playing with new genres and all that yeah but by the same token i don't really love sitcoms and i don't just mean Mm -hmm. i don't love like old sitcoms i i mean i'm i just have come to terms with the fact that i'm not really a big fan of sitcoms period so i'm like Mm -hmm. okay marvel play with genre but like don't like but i'm not gonna like laugh at these things because i don't find them funny um so, uh, but I was really impressed with the, the art direction and and how much uh, there was like a couple of moments. I am way too anal retentive, as folks may know if they've known me, about like how people art direct anything having to do from the '60s. And there were only minor things where I was like, actually. Um, so, so congrats, congrats to the art department for nailing it. And obviously, the performances were amazing. But I've been so interested in how much like everybody has had such a, a significant emotional response to the show, like far beyond what I've had. So I sort of feel like I'm a the watcher coming in to to witness how other people have responded to the show, because like everybody was crying everywhere, and I wasn't quite like making that connection with it. I actually like turned to my husband at one point. And I'm like, everyone's crying. Am I dead inside? He's like, no, I mean, you cried everywhere over the that episode of Hilda a couple of weeks back on Netflix. So oh, you're probably not completely dead inside. I'm like, oh. I was the same way during the um uh the first part of the last Avengers movie where it was like, oh no, half of the world has disappeared. Um, just because I feel like when they introduced the the time stone and like, oh, you know, Wanda kills vision, that is really traumatic. But then time was just rewound and then he died again. So in a world where you can rewind time, it kind of seems like you shouldn't be that worried because like you just need to focus on getting the stone back and and then feel like you can solve a lot of the other problems you had earlier in the day. And so I I feel like um, I'm with you there with uh, a lot of the, the heavier emotional things. I think there are certain moments that were understated that for me felt kind of devastating. Like at the end, um, they established that one of the sons is uh, a little bit of a telepath and you can kind of see what's going on. Um, And, you know, this big wall of reality is coming at them and they're in bed. Their parents are putting them to bed saying they love them. But that means that kid knows for a fact that he's about to die. Oh, shit. Like he knows that his parents are lying to him. And it's like, I feel like there are so many times in my life when I've looked at my parents, known that they were having a devastating moment or lying about something. And I just had to just sort of 
support them and play the role that they needed me to play in that moment. And that for me was like, you know, ripping my heart out. Oof, oof. Even thinking about it now, it's just like, oh, no, 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 no. That's a great point. I wasn't thinking about that beforehand, and I I appreciate you, Nikki, for sharing that because now I am, and now my heart is also ripped apart. But that's also, you know, to your point, uh, Ilana, that you know the things that resonated with people. For me, I felt like this was a show not just about Wanda's grief; that it was about a lot of the different characters. You know, the way they have all something to grieve. And for me, I felt like more than mm-hmm. anyone, I what resonated is Monica. And her experience and like, you know, her her mom's death, it's not direct for me to relate to that. But I definitely related to how she was almost like by the end of it, empowered by it. And I know she may gain superpowers or may have had them. We don't know or I don't know yet. I, I feel like maybe she gained something new through that experience. But by the end of it, I really felt like her her message to Wanda was like what I felt like is kind of where I'm coming around through in this last year of the pandemic and this last year of trying to work through things in therapy to learn how to grieve things in the right way. I felt like, you know, coming out of it, I I related more to Wanda or to Monica and how she's mm-hmm. experiencing grief and her trauma and overcoming it in this, kind of this empowered way. And hopefully that means one day I'll have my own superpowers and, and, you know, whatever those superpowers are translating to for Monica now. But I think that makes me more excited to see what the trajectory in the MCU is going to be for Monica um, to me, I felt like this was a villain origin story and Wanda is totally the bad guy. But, you know, I really appreciated the stages of grief and I thought it was uh, really beautiful. But by the end of it, I'm not looking at Wanda with any sympathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally the same. I mean, I I feel like the part that hit hardest or that was the most interesting was where it got to the uh, like full house-ish uh, part, let's say, where like the glass starts to shatter and you start to realize that this image is not right and that actually you can start to be more honest about your emotions like you as a character can start to be more honest about like how you're feeling and the characters don't know how to do that and like when they start to introduce this fourth wall Wanda is totally confused and I thought that that was uh, s- such an interesting analysis. I kind of feel like that's where a lot of folks are right now, like learning how to be a little bit more honest about how they're feeling, that you're like crying all the time. Um, and yeah, it's it. I thought that was great. The, the, the style parody of Modern Family and Malcolm in the Middle was just dead on. I mean, incredibly yeah, impressed by it really did. Like even for the, mo- it's in- it feels like it's a lot easier to sort of do a riff off some of the earlier genre forms, but to get the contemporary ones so perfectly it was like amazing. Um, I you know I want to I want to dig in a little bit on Monica a bit more actually with you in particular, Nikki, because like. I was excited because, you know, the way she's introduced here, I was like, okay, this is a character that I know people are going to love and and that Mm -hmm. people are excited to see. And I, when they had her stop those bullets from Mm -hmm. hitting Wanda's, you know, are they real or not? Like children. I was just like, this is uncomfortable. And I want to talk about why. Yeah. I feel like there are so many moments in this, like when I was watching it with um, my husband that I was like, was, 
I can tell that like this scene feels like it was pitched by a 90s Marvel exec in a room of like, all right. And then she runs in front of it and she stops it. And you think, oh my God, but she, it's going to go straight through her. Like, what? And um, I feel like, <laughs> and, and partly I, I say 90s in that it comes across as, um, as being written as like, I don't see color, I see people. Because there are so many moments that have a deep emotional meaning for a person of color that they don't touch upon. Like the idea, um, the language around Monica not belonging in a place is touched up, touched upon a couple of times. And for um, a woman of color and black woman in particular, if someone judges you as not being from there or not supposed, you're not supposed to be there. It goes from being um, uncomfortable to dangerous because someone's about to call the police and then it becomes an existential issue for you in that, you know, your existence is now significantly uh, threatened. And um, so they have uh, really early on, Monica goes to her office and they don't, they have like a super small moment with her and the guard where she's like, no, I am, I am, I work here. And the guy said, well, you know, if you can, if you worked here, you'd be able to get in. And um, as like a black lady who used to work in a super nice office and had a janky card that never worked, <laughs> I have that like I would have the card, turn the card to my key card on and wouldn't work. And I'd have that moment in my stomach of, all right, this is it. This is the day where they like they don't believe me. They call the cops. I just say, like, I do work here and something goes wrong. And it's just that's the end. Um and they just sort of, I think, as a somebody, like a writer for Marvel, in that scene, it was probably a good way to be like, ah, Hayward swoops in and he can cut Monica off at the pass and he'll be able to take control of the situation. But it's not just that small moment for Monica. It then becomes like uh, Wanda saying, you don't belong here, before mm -hmm. throwing her through several walls. Um, and, uh, again, Wanda, you know, doesn't kill her, which is pretty nice. That's nice of her. Um, but it's, again, it's Wanda saying, you know, this black person doesn't belong here, which I don't think they wrote as a, uh, a racial comment. I think they just meant it as like, I'm trying to make a fantasy world. Yeah. And you're trying to ruin that for me. And I need you out. But because it is a magical white lady with superpowers saying this to a, at that time, not powered person and then right. throwing her out of her majority white neighborhood, it's, it wasn't, it, it's, it's hard to take that and being locked out of your job and then being and then having, um, you know, a state actor uh, shoot at a black lady with the intent. <laughs> to kill her in a world where we're so aware we just spent the last summer um talking so much so much more than about police violence against black bodies and then to have that in your show and not mention you know um all the the world around it is um is like provocative without actually engaging in it or um oblivious and i think it, it's 
again, I think these were not intentional things, but it uh, it kept being like I that hmm, that's it. Hmm. Is that a hmm? <laughs> That's the thing. It would have been like when she said, you don't belong here. I like looked up and I said, oh, please tell me you're going to do something with this. And then they did. I was like, oh, you know, I thought we were going to talk about like racism, but I guess we're not. I I also don't think it was intentional, but I think they were somewhat aware of it, particularly in the scene with Agatha and Herb and Mm -hmm. um, Vision, because I I believe they had that character be Herb as opposed to literally anyone else. Because, like, at mm. one point, I'm like, is Herb a particular... I'm like, is that Mephisto? And it's yeah, like, right? no, Herb was literally just any one of the other townspeople. But I'm like, they mm-hmm. picked him because they knew they wanted to have this dialogue and it would have seemed yeah. even more uncomfortable with two white people. So they tried to use Herb as the buffer. But that, to me, it read, I'm like, oh... And I read that in the moment. I'm like... They knew this was a weird scene because Monica mm-hmm. is a black woman and they knew they wanted to have mm-hmm. this conversation and they th- thought Herb would be the one to offset it, but it truly didn't. And honestly, I took this in as more reasons of why Wanda was the villain because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, Wanda was trained by Hydra and Hydra is literally yeah. white supremacists. Like, that's mm-hmm. Nazis. And so I'm just like, Wanda's the bad person coming into this. Wanda is resonated as the bad person leaving it and these are just Mm -hmm. all of the reasons why because deep down it's who she is and i think that there's part of it that i'm interpreting myself versus disney's (laughs) intention here because they definitely tried to cover their bases with having it be herb yeah i think that mentioning like the the scenes outside with um with wanda um it you're you're um, your point made me think a little bit about the um, the like, maybe I am the villain or maybe I already am conversation um, because like in that in that moment we go from seeing Wanda ha- show a level of aggression against Monica that we really haven't seen up to that point. That's true, um, as, especially against another female lead um, and. In that moment, Monica tries to splatter her on the um, sidewalk, but but for Monica's powers, she, she would not have survived. And we're not seeing that same level of aggression um, against other female leads up to that point. But we did get um, to see that hero landing. That was yeah, exciting. Yeah, was we so got good. that MCU yeah. hero landing. That was a quality. That was a quality hero landing. It's true. Like I'm dead inside, but I was like, good for her. Right? <laughs> oh God. The, the one one other thing that stuck out to me was um, when Agnes is like sort of collecting her friend and being like, "Well, you should, you know, just watch yourself, young lady." Um, again, that came across to me as written as a, "Ooh, this is a clue to, that Agnes is actually really four hundred years old. She's not a young woman." Um, but as somebody who has used the word, you know, has uh had white authoritative figures try to use young lady or girl or you know um diminutives like that try to 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 bring you down <laughs> with that it definitely struck as like a oh oh no oh they did not think about that at all <laughs> they ooh, oh no oh no um i i want to also to talk with you Asia, about 
how the show did the scenes in Sokovia, because it felt like you had some specific takes on like where and when this was and how it was happening, which I thought were interesting. Like, I I personally um, really think it's important for the characters in any sort of fictional universe to be people coming from like a, a broad set of places, spaces and circumstances. So I'm like, hooray, like let's have characters who aren't from America. That's important. And I'm like, oh, it's a functional, it's a fun, it's a fictional country. We're not gonna, okay, well, like, what do we know? What do we understand about it? And then I, I had always been a little bit cranky about her accent coming and going in the movies. And then I loved the show being like, yeah, that's on purpose. And that has to do with like trying to fit in and the complexity of her life. Da, 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 da. But I do know, but, but when we were chatting, I said you had some interesting thoughts about like the, the placement of her, her childhood home and, um, and what that looked like to us. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like generally when I see Eastern European villains in, in art, um, in movies or, or in TV shows, like my reaction at this point is like deep sigh uh, because it's just, it's such an easy trope and, and I get it. Um, and it usually boils down to accent and like weird history. But I felt like here, that character, it, it actually made a lot of sense that she was from the place where she was from. Um, it felt to me like, um, it was really important that she be from a place where she was deprived of a lot of like sensory happiness in particular. Um, and maybe it's because of my own family history or like the myths that, that I was, uh, taught and told, uh, when I was little, but that's, there is very much a sense of, the Soviet Union, if if there's anything to be said about it, like there there was there were fewer material comforts than here. Um, and I felt like that was that was a really interesting choice to to put her there because of that, because it felt like coming out of that place. What you want is a sense of security, even if it's false security that is brought to you by material comforts, by like the, the trappings of capitalism. Um, one thing that I also thought that they re did really well was they made her home, her like home in Sokovia, really beautiful um, and and really homey, and and I thought that that was an interesting choice. Usually, when I see uh, the the any sort of Soviet country portrayed in the movies, it's really stark uh, and. It, like it doesn't look good and here it was it was warm and it was lively um and that felt like an important part of her story that she could she could have a sense of nostalgia for for that kind of warmth that she's trying to recreate but she's trying to recreate it in this entirely new environment can I just so. say real quick, I grew up with a completely different immigrant experience and I really appreciate, Asya, what you just shared because I'm like sitting here thinking, I'm like, wow, so it's not just me who sees all these terrible tropes of them themselves and their community represented in these things. And I'm just like, 
blown away because that's like not even a thing I took away from the show. But now I really want to go back and watch that like flashback episode and like try to like feel it in a way as if what if Wanda was an Arab? And I'm just like so blown away by what I'm hearing right now. And I super appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, totally. I mean, when I was growing up, I felt like seeing anybody from uh, Eastern Europe in the movies, it was like a great thing. Like, oh, our people. And then as time went on, I was like, oh, they're being portrayed in exactly the same way over and over again. And it's not pretty. And I think maybe that's part of why I really appreciate the way that they showed her home. Um, to It was like to de-villainize her in a way. Um, I like that. I mean, one of the things that I, I, I think is really interesting with regards to Marvel as a whole with its world building, and this is from the comics, not as not as much of a thing in the in the in the movies, but um Marvel is full of Eastern European and people from like Soviet and former Soviet countries who are heroes, but almost all of them were former bad guys. And it's like such a consistent trope. So like when, when Chris Claremont, who incidentally, you know, Jewish American uh, comics writer, when he brings in Colossus to the X-Men, Colossus is kind of like the first Soviet, and it's Soviet because it's the eighties, superhero who was always a good guy. Like, he's not someone who, like, was a Soviet hero for the Russian government and then realized the government was evil and became a good guy. He, like, literally is, like, just a kid working on his family's collective farm, and he gets superpowers and rescues his sister, and Xavier shows up and is like, come to America and be a superhero. And he's like, but I want to help our collectivist farm. And his family's like, that's okay. We we want you to get a good education. Come go to America. And, like, and this is this is something that was interesting. From This is from, I don't know if folks listen to the Cerebro podcast, which is an excellent comics podcast just about the X-Men. But the episode they had on, um, on Colossus really made me think about, like, he really, it was kind of the first Marvel superhero who was Russian, who, like, didn't start off as a bad guy. But conversely, it's pretty impressive that Marvel had so many Eastern European and former Soviet superheroes going back to the 60s, even though they did begin as bad guys. So, like... The first, you know, appearances of like Wanda Maximoff and Pietro, they're bad guys working for their dad, Magneto. But like, I like what, like their fifth appearance or something like that? They're already like, yeah, no, this is bad. We want to help people. <laughs> um, And I think that a lot of like the vision, I don't, lowercase vision, uh, that that some of the, the writers and creators at Marvel had by having these like, characters from di- from different countries, including countries that had been, quote unquote, the enemies of the United States, come and be heroes, was, was very politically deliberate. And I've missed having that um, political, like that, sorry, I've missed having that international character diversity in how Marvel has done the show, in the, in the, in, has done the movies. Because like, yeah, like we need an Arab American superhero, for example, like that's not been in the movies. But thankfully, we're going to at least get you know, we're going to at least get a Muslim American superhero, even if she's not an Arab, when we get Kamala Khan in the new Captain Marvel movie. Da, 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 da. Okay, but that Anyhow. is still really exciting for some of us brown women out here. Like, I'm so hyped about that. And I'm like, I'm I'm super ready for it, too. But I also like, you know, you introduced me as not an, a comics person. But from what I understand in the comics, there's a lot of progress made in this world. And so I I really personally hope to see that progress from the comics come more into the MCU. I don't know, like, just exactly Mm -hmm. what's going on, but every I feel like every other day in, like, the local newspaper, there's, like, a new hero coming from Dearborn, Michigan. And it's, like, I feel like there's an attempt in the comics, and I think that the just, like, just Disney trying to do what they're 
their whatever fake on fake wokeness is going to try to keep up and i that like what what comes from the comics signals to me what i can potentially hope for in in the um the movies Totally. And I think that it's going to be like, you're going to see Kamala Khan interacting with Monica. And like, that is going to be awesome, too. You know what I mean? Like the different generations of, of Ooh, superhero that sounds women. sounds so good. <laughs> I'm a sucker for it. I would re- like, I, I hope that um, Marvel will bring in more um, Middle Eastern women um, for the shows, because I think there, there are um uh, several uh, Middle Eastern ladies who are on the X teams, but like, for example, mm-hmm. I think the the most prominent lady I can think of is uh, Dust, um, which it's like she, the, uh, Dust has some yeah. cool powers, <laughs> but she is some problematic or, or like she, she's a lady in a niqab um, and uh, she also can turn herself into sand and it's just like, guys, come on, like, <laughs> Oh my really? God! Are you kidding me? I, I was like sitting wish. here getting all hype, and then you said that last part, and I'm also realizing to myself what I just gushed about in the comics. It is all talking about men heroes and not women heroes, so I'm excited to know. Uh. I'm like sitting here, women, Arab, uh, even just like Arab, but Arab American yeah. particularly. Arab American women, yeah. Oh my God, they exist, and we can talk yeah. on the upline on those on those characters because maybe I might pick up a couple of comic books now. Hooray! Yeah, I, yeah, I hope Marvel my, my work gets it done. together. And like, there are um, also uh, there's a French lady um, who is kind of Superman powers named M. Um, I believe she's a Muslim lady. Yep, um, she's Muslim, and she's and she's interesting because like she's very she's very much portrayed as secular. So you have like some Muslim yeah. characters like Dust who are really religious, and some like M who is like really not very religious. She's Tunisian, and yeah, she's the star of the new of one of the new X Men books. Her and Angel oh. are the stars oh. of the X Men's new corporation called X Corp. So that's that incredible. Like to represent, like I'm I'm a Muslim woman who's not religious like literally at all to know because then oftentimes even in like pop culture when i see muslim woman representation as wonderful as it can be it's still always usually like an empowered hijabi woman or you know and it's always about like respecting of the religion but there's some of us who are not religious and like to know that there's even that representation hell yeah i'm like down to learn all about m after after we're done with here (laughs) <laughs> thanks yes so i'm actually should, really excited about that yeah um you might like um a series called uh x-factor investigations because it is about um it's right after uh wanda uh says no more mutants so everyone's having a rough time um and, uh there uh a bunch of the people get together and are like hey let's solve some mysteries but um i really enjoy that m is she cannot help but be herself as much as she um, she's like she has also the superpower of being a rich lady. Um, she is will not suffer fools. She does not. She's not there for anyone's shit. She's just like, nope, I can lift a building. Like, <laughs> I, I don't have time for this. I, I'm no, I'm a busy woman. I have to go shopping this afternoon. I'm going to take a plane somewhere and I do not have time for you to be dumb about it. It's funny. That's 100% that we're, her brand. We've been talking, this is like a conversation about WandaVision, but it's interesting that you were able to connect it to that No More Mutants line in the comics because 
I don't know about everyone else, but like the expectations were a little bit high on this. And like my takeaway from the show is that it was a really fantastic show. And I need to pro I like legit need to process it and come back and rewatch it and like appreciate it for what it was. But I personally was expecting some form of no more mutants. I was expecting like a Oh, me too. Yeah. I have like a secret notes. Um, and in my notes app on my phone, I was like keeping track of my like most wildest kind of theories. And I'm like, I was sure we were going to see Ian McKellen, like expectations <laughs> of like just MCU wildness were through the roof. And I'm like, how are they going to do no more mutants? How are they going to do it in this? And it's like interesting that the show is just truly about like Wanda and personal grief. And like mm -hmm. so many of us were taking away all of this. And I think, uh, Ilana, you were the one who shared something with me about how we were all trying to, like, figure out what man was behind what was going on. And it was like, I personally was so sure it was Mephisto. And I still kind of believe that this was, but it's like, ridiculous, <laughs> and it's true. But it is a show about Wanda and her personal experience as a woman grieving. And it's just wild mm -hmm. how through the roof some, like, people's takeaways were. I mean, people are deeply in love with the world building of the MCU to the point where, like, focusing on what appearances they might see, what Easter eggs they might get, kind of dominates the conversation in ways that I think kind of undermine the ability to, like, just understand or engage with with the piece, which is why I was, like, very much just, like, I'm divorcing myself from worrying about, like, what's going to happen. I mean, and like I said, like, Pietro Maximoff is one of my favorite X-Men characters. And I, like, was like, maybe he'll be in this. Maybe it'll be a fake one. I don't know. We will see. I just had to divorce myself from the speculation in order to be able to appreciate the show. And I think in the end of the day, that helped me be like, yeah, the ending of this was satisfying to me. Like, I... I, I, I agree with all the people who've pointed out the ways that Wanda hasn't actually faced justice for what she's done in this. Um, and I think that's okay. Like, this isn't like a morality tale. Like, I think it's important for people to realize that she hasn't faced, like, justice for what happened or what she did. And that it's okay for her to be, it's okay for her to be, for us to be sympathetic with her. I certainly am sympathetic with her. And I mean, like, when she goes into the S.H.I.E.L.D., Headquarters, sword headquarters, and she's like, motherfucker, my husband is dead. And they're like, no, sorry, your husband's a thing, not a person. Like, how can you not feel compassion for her in those moments? But by the same token, you know, also she like literally held an entire town emotional hostage, like playthings in her game because of her problems. It's complicated and that's okay. Um, we don't have to come away from it saying, like, this is the bad guy, the good guy, and, like, this is what the correct, proper moral outcome of the story should be. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, yeah I kind of like that she didn't face justice, at least, like, in the space of this series. It just felt a lot more honest. Like, I feel like the justice is, like, this town is going to have to suffer with, like, the grief that she brought upon them, which is kind of realistic to life and a lot of bad guys that happen in life um so mm -hmm. i'm kind of glad that they didn't give us that sort of catharsis yeah yeah let's 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 talk before i move ahead too much about pietro um i i did enjoy one thing i did enjoy from the the meta fandom was uh people's various creative nicknames for thinking he might have been fake pietro but um I, I think people pretty much were a consensus. Like, that was an amazing way to get a riff on 
I mean, a combination of like Uncle Jesse from Full House, but also like the whole Poochie phenomenon of like, they're going to introduce this hip, cool, bad boy character midway through season four, like as the show gets stale and you're going to like him, right? Right. You better like him. He's cool. We know what's cool. Right. Um, And have that sort of be through like bringing in her, her brother and have it be cast by the guy who played him in the Marvel. I, I mean, just layer upon layer. That was pretty fucking brilliant. It, and and funny. And it's hilarious in hindsight. It's so funny. I was at first like, this is what opened. I'm like, this is the setup for Ian McKellen at the end. But and like the takeaway now, it's like, okay, we learned that it's actually Agatha controlling. So if you go back and like rethink it or rewatch it as Agatha saying all what he's saying, it's hilarious. Because you can feel Agatha's personality through it. Because Agatha's hilarious. And she's like, yeah, I'm just here to like blah, 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 blah. And give you grief. Like going through all of the things that the trope of this character would do. And just like being out there. It's just like that's exactly what Agatha was doing. When every time she broke the fourth wall to to fuck with, uh, to mess with whatever, to mess with uh, Wanda. And it's like, it is so funny. And the funny thing, it is hilarious actually that people took that away to mean something more i think it's just how hungry we are for like you know the next phase of the mcu and also i think that this show came out earlier like you know earlier in line than expected so i think the intention Mm. was by the time the show was going to come out maybe it would have made more sense and that makes me now speculate about all what's in between and what was supposed to be in between so i think just that's a good point too yeah, the setup for the MCU in this is just like, oh my god, there's so many things we can continue to take away for to just like feed ourselves until, you know, we get a show in a week and then after that we'll get Loki. Like he, we're in it now. We're in the nonstop MCU <laughs> world building now after having so, so much of a break. Tell me folks. Yeah. Tell me folks, what did you guys think about Agatha and it was Agatha all along and the whole concept and character? Um, cause I will admit, like, I, I actually went back to look at her first appearance in the Fantastic Four comic. Um, this is for all intents and purposes, a completely new character. Like this has no resemblance and that's fine by me. And she's a ton of fun. What did you guys think about her as a villain? As a villain? She was so much fun. And, um, I really am a big fan of, um, villains who enjoy chewing the scenery and doing whatever they're doing. So, uh, in the first Wonder Woman movie, my absolute favorite was, the, you know, these two, like, uh, Dr. Poison and forget the other person. Yeah. But they were having just, like, the best time laughing about, oh, we're doing the most villainous thing. And it's like, good for you enjoying your day, but maybe hurting people is not the right thing to do right now. Um, but, like, I I enjoyed the, the actress's performance. Like, Catherine Hahn was so much fun. And um, the idea of... Uh, of like, oh, you didn't, you didn't think you were the only person who knew what's what was up. Like, <laughs> you, you didn't think you were the only magical girl in town, did you? Um, was a like a very fun reveal. I I enjoyed her so much, and also like the the searing resentment, the idea of like yes, um, when you when you work so hard to be mediocre at something, and then somebody who isn't even trying just like blows past you. Like, I remember um, I am uh, not 
good at a lot of like academic things. I'm just really stubborn about them. <laughs> and mm. uh, for I um, grew up uh, going to a school where it was there were so many like prodigy kids who were just like, no, I didn't even I didn't even do anything. I just like I I, I looked at the book like once, and then they would just you know blow past me and be like, um. Oh, man that's crazy oh you don't even care about this isn't even your whole day ah <laughs> uh, so like i definitely felt the like oh is this girl she's using it she's using world bending powers to do what to make breakfast oh hell no and like, <laughs> what yeah i i i really there's something our, our mutual friend t berry blue said to me that they're like it remind it, that that whole dynamic between Agatha and Wanda reminded them of Amadeus, where you have the one artist who's like working so hard to be able to achieve their art, looking at this other artist who's just a natural and just being like loathing and jealous and angry about it. And that right. knocked my socks off. I was like, oh my god, T, you're a genius. <laughs> and like to be fair, I I think there um, I think there's something to be said for um. Like the, I think I understand uh, Agatha's motivation in that, like, if you knew somebody had crazy amounts of power and wasn't trained with it, and you were like, I spent all this time training, dude, give me the power. You, it's dangerous for you to have it. Like, I kind of understand yeah. where she's coming from there. Went around it the wrong way, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I kind of I feel like it's sympathetic in that way. I think Agatha is probably like one of the top four MCU villains. Um, I think she's up there with Loki, with Killmonger, and with Thanos, where she's actually sympathetic in a lot of ways, but also, like, a straight-up, extremely powerful individual. So when they're, you know, frustrated, they exert their power in, like, a villainous way. But you you do kind of feel for them. And I almost feel for Agatha more than I do for Wanda, at the end of it, because I think it's very cruel, indeed, as Agatha pointed out, what Wanda is doing to her. And I think she's going to, I feel like we're not done with Agatha. I think they're going to try to tell mm -hmm. us that we are, try to hint, who knows, but we're not. I think there's a million different theories for how we can already guess Agatha's going to escape out of that. But I think when they come back to her, it's going to be in a moment where Wanda is an established villain coming to her villainous friend. And from what I understand in the comics, Agatha is a little bit of a mentor. And I feel like they set that up where she's going to have to be her mentor and Wanda's going to want to figure shit out later down the road. And I think it's just part of the, you know, the greatness that the MCU does in world building. But it makes me really excited to see, okay, now what are the other shows are going to set up in the films? And it's it's just really cool to see. Mm. And of course, Catherine Hahn, just magnificent. She's so good. And the song, There's the song was just amazing. That song was great. There's a, a really great moment in it um, where, in excuse me, in WandaVision where... Uh, when Sparky dies and she's holding the dog and you can see on Catherine Hahn's face the devastation at the, the revelation that this lady, again, not trained, not even trying, can bring people back from the dead. <laughs> and she's just so yeah. devastated by that. My one criticism with respect to the the character Agatha, believe me, the performances are flawless. Like all of the performances in the show are flawless. This goes without saying. But um, was that I thought that the final showdown of them just blasting each other with power beams basically 
I would have liked to have seen something a lot more creative. Um, you know, like when the vision meets the vision, they get to have a philosophical debate in the library. Um, I would have liked the witches to have something a little bit more formally creative and related to, you know, the the expansive powers that they have available to them. Because I did kind of find their final fight to just be a little bit repetitive of anybody sh- shooting color beams at anybody else after the show had just been so creative and interesting until then. And my other thought is whenever people do stuff that takes place in Salem and there isn't like an acknowledgement of the fact that actually there were no witches, this was like done to steal from women. Like that was people were accused of being witches so that the church could literally steal their shit. Um, it, it makes me hurt a little bit because it's not that it needs to be the truth, but like, isn't that in and of itself an amazing story? And like, why not acknowledge that history? I, so I was like, I was like, oh, they're doing Salem. Oh, wait, they don't seem to know what actually happened in Salem. That's a bit of a bummer. Um, but I say that about anything that doesn't seem to to hit on that. Although actually speaking of like bad guys and good guys, let's talk about the FBI. I, um... I love Jimmy Woo, of course. You know, I uh, I mentioned when we talked about the Ant-Man, first Ant-Man movie on the podcast, that the, the character, Special Agent Jimmy Woo, was actually, I believe, to be the first non-stereotypical Asian-American character at Marvel like in the comics in the 50s, where he was basically like a hard-boiled secret agent, and he did not have any mystical Eastern powers or anything stereotypical at all. He wasn't a ninja. He was just like a good FBI agent. Um, but... Uh, so I enjoy having him, but I'm always like, my skin always crawls a little bit when he's like, well, let me tell you what my friends at Quantico have to say. And I'm like, is it that they want to kill Martin Luther King? Or what is it that your friends at Quantico have to say? (laughs) I feel like with Jimmy, he's, he's such a true believer that it's, I, I see it through his eyes where he's just like, no, they're not scary. They're a softball team and I'm no good at anything else, but that's softball. And, and part of me, mm. like, buys in based on that. Um, but it is a very good point that it's like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I feel like Disney is on a kick to bring in characters that are, like, going to make them look the most woke. And I think mm-hmm. having a non-white male uh, FBI agent kind of be a crossover into multiple audiences that they want to you know hit and i definitely feel like we're i mean you could call it phony you could call it contrived you could call it corporate it is all those things but it's also for me (laughs) like i love it i'm like a sucker for it it's like the one freaking area where i have rose colored glasses or whatever And I'm like, I, you know, I don't want to appreciate it because I don't want to appreciate anything that, you know, this corporate behemoth does. But at the end of the day, like, if I'm a sucker for it, the masses are a sucker for it. And so I think it's just part of that. We're like, see, cops can be good, too. And I definitely think that we're in for a lot of the wokest of the woke comic characters we're going to start seeing. Oh, I was going to say... I mean, I I feel like at the end, there's this line um, where Wanda says, where uh, like everybody in the town comes to her um, and starts criticizing her. And she's like, well, I kept you all safe. And and it just 
And I feel like it's a really, really important line. Like she kept everybody safe by keeping everybody in, in delusion. And yet outside of this universe, you have the FBI doing essentially the same thing under essentially the same message. Um, and it's mm. totally accepted. And I thought that was just interesting. That's a great point. I, I also felt myself like when he when um, what's his face gets uh, arrested, I was like, wait, what? He's actually going to face consequences for shooting at magical children. That doesn't happen. Like, they, he hasn't been given a medal. What? Can I say something about Hayward? I, I found him almost more sympathetic than Wanda at the end of it. <laughs> and I know Whoa, this is crazy. Okay. I, I know he was even supposedly the devil himself at one point, but... When he says that line, you're, you know, not all of us can kind of bring our peoples back online or whatever. That man, I gotta say, kudos to the actor, handsome as fuck. But he totally, like, I feel like that was sad. He clearly lost somebody and it was clearly something went down in those five years after everybody disappeared. And, you know, Monica wasn't part of it, so he couldn't have that little... I felt like it was, like, a real kind of character in that way. And then, like, all of a sudden, like, this guy is just, you know, trying to be whatever, a little extra with how protective he wants to be. And then everybody's challenging him. And, and sure, he handled it in the worst way. But I felt like he was more... He was just, like, slightly sympathetic in that way where his own grief, clearly after everyone disappeared was still impacting him that he spent these five crazy mm. years like a mad scientist trying to figure out a suit of armor to around the world like other people who we consider freaking heroes. That is the direct quote from Iron Man. So I just found him a very interesting character at the end of him. And it's going to be another thing that I'm going to pay attention to when I do a rewatch because the whole time I was convinced that maybe he was Mephisto. But now I feel like, no, that, he had his own grief and his own character moments that I'm very interested in. We haven't talked about Vision yet um, as like a character. And I, I would love to get folks thoughts about him. He's someone who in the comics I never found particularly compelling. And in fact, I'd always kind of been grossed out that he was with Wanda. Which is not to say that I'm against fictional synthesoids being married to mutant ladies. But I was always like, he's just so dead in the issues of Advent of Classic Avengers that I read that I couldn't fathom why Wanda would be attracted to him. Um, but it was very different. I think it was very different in this. What, what do folks think about Vision in, in, the, in the show? I really loved that um, they made him into um, more of a person because I think in the movies they still had him pretty stilted. Um, mm -hmm. And Jarvis, when he was just Jarvis, Jarvis was like very smooth, but at the same time, disembodied voice. Um, but by the the first the first episode of WandaVision, he, uh, you know, is making jokes and uh, he's one thing that struck me is just the actor himself saying Wanda's name with an English act and her name sort of becomes Wander, like a Wander. Um, <laughs> and I felt like, yeah, it's a very, very precise synthesoid wouldn't do that. So I like that he just became a person. I think like I, when the show first started, I had a, a feeling that vision was going to sort of figure out what was happening because the the way 
Wanda construed him in her mind, um, she had a lot of a lot of, you know, obviously love and esteem for him. So she wouldn't make him into a, a mindless drone or anything. He'd be himself and he would be able to reason that something was going on. Um, so I, I think there was a lot of growth and still a lot of poignancy to the relationship this character had. He didn't excuse her behavior. He was just like, I mean, right now that our world's kind of on fire. Why don't we uh, take care of that? <laughs> didn't do the right thing, but I still support you as a, your partner. <laughs> So I, I really liked him. But do you feel like he's better in here than he's, you feel like he's more likable in this than he was in the comics though, basically. Yeah. Yes. I think the, um, the more recent vision stuff, like the, the miniseries that the miniseries. they had. Yeah. The, the vision miniseries where he, um, it's, it's after he gets, uh, erased and gets his memory back. And then, um, Wanda was sad he was gone, so she puts all of her brainwaves on a on a jewel and gives it to him after they break up because she starts dating the man who he his brainwaves were based on, which question mark? But you know, it's important to to stay active, Wanda, and good for you that you did. But um, she he uh, he takes that jewel, he makes his own wife and then his own kids, where which is where uh, Viv Vision from Champions comes from. Um, and in that story, he talks about, you know, part of being being a, the family he made, part of the, the family that made him. So Ultron, and then he has a brother who is a teenager who was on a different superhero team. <laughs> um, and uh, it's it's a really great story. It's really wonderful, but it's he, vision in the show is much more likable because he's still really stilted in the comics and still very much um, like I'm an actual synthesoid. He's still very <laughs> robotic. Alicia, coming in fairly new to this, like, what did you think of the character here? I mean, I cut, um, I kind of loved him. I thought that he was, um, he, he was a really empathetic character and he showed like how you can show empathy without necessarily feeling it yourself, which was a really interesting concept. Like I, I like that he understood empathy by seeing it other in other people and, and understood that that was an important concept. Um, and I thought that that was, that was kind of a beautiful thing. Um, and really, really important in a show that's talking about, uh, that's talking about grief and, and trauma and about how you process it. Um, and even if you like, can't feel the feelings yourself, you can see how other people are doing it. So that's the role he played for me. Yeah, it's interesting. You made me think about it. It's sort of like he's mirroring what that behavior or understanding is supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. One of the moments in the show that got me, that I thought was really powerful, was when he goes to the office. It's like episode three or something like that. And he accidentally briefly zaps his coworker out of character and in, back into his normal self. And he's just like, holy fuck, I need to call my sister on my cell phone and, and and vision sort of puts him back and like how affected vision feels at seeing his 
coworkers, pain. Um, I felt like that was kind of like a a breakthrough moment for the for them in the show. Oh, I think it it definitely was. I think it was the first time where it started to become a little bit clear that it was Wanda. Um, just because it, I think it, you know, we kind of knew a little bit the show was going to deal with her grief. And it felt like at that moment that that person immediately went into a moment of grief. And I don't know, I felt that there was some connection. But I also feel like it was, it was Vision experiencing like what I interpreted maybe as more like a, like a detective hunt to figure out like there's something strange here. What's going on? It was also Mm. Vision really experiencing these things for the first time. And it kind of comes to be a little stronger towards the end of it. But I, I thought there was something so wholesome and just like almost childlike in Vision at the end when Wanda was telling him like who he is and what he is. And more than just, a, you know, a piece of the Mind Stone, but like just, you know, wires and synthesoid or whatever when she was describing that and just... Kudos to Paul Bettany, who... Mm-hmm. That's his name, right? Paul Bettany? Yep, yep. So who I'm like angry at for setting up the expectations, but I also felt like, my goodness, that moment and also the moment where he's like two different characters, but also him it was just magnificent. But he almost has this childlike wonder in his face of just pureness and excitement. And it's just like, that's what got me. I was done in that moment. I was keeping it together with the kids because I knew it was coming and I was like, oh no. And then like I was holding it through and then we're just looking at his face in that moment. It was just so pure. And I feel like I look forward to that payoff when they inevitably all come back together as a, as a family or maybe Wanda's like realized her ways and they get to pose like that again. Only the kids are bigger, whatever they have planned down the road in the MCU. I feel like the setup of this series just like really did a good job with that because I'm looking forward to when we see what is next for Vision. And I like, they did great job with the kids and it's so easy to make kids be really irritating. Um, And I thought they did, the child actors were really good. I liked that they had distinct personalities. They definitely seemed like, you know, we we know these characters and you know, preteen and teenage and now 20 something, although they still feel like teenagers to me mode uh, in the comics. And I felt like the show definitely, definitely got them. But like, yeah, kudos to those child actors for like being good and making me not want to smack them. Um, I do think we will be seeing them again for sure in the future. What did I think? Oh, go ahead. please. What did folks think about the fake advertisements, the fake commercials? Because that was, I thought, some of the best satire in the whole series. Oh, my God. I I loved the advertisements. I thought that that was the like the most incisive part of the show. And I love that they went from um, from like toasters to antidepressants and that each (laughs) one of these was it was it was just the perfect thing, like and that the antidepressants i think it was like that anchors you back to reality or reality of your own choice yeah yes. I, thought, I, I thought it was it was amazing like they sh- they show exactly like how people are trying to take themselves out of their reality in that moment and showing that they're 
it is not just these like little material things outside of you um, that can that can do that. Um, and anyway, I thought that they were great. I think the um, the most devastating commercial for me was the claymation one um, because I was not expecting it to end it all with like four survivors because that was just <laughs> such a gut punch of like, oh my God, oh no, that, oh no. Um, and I think so much of the show focuses on, uh, focuses on grief, but also the it being in the middle of a disaster and how that changes your perception or your grief around it. So for like uh, Monica, it was a blink for her. She was gone. And then like, you know, her mom was not <laughs> recovering from cancer anymore. There were hundreds of people running around a hospital, like in that moment, um, this horrible thing that people had been processing for five years was just all rushing. And uh, it seems a little bit like the chaos of the moment kind of, um, distanced her a little bit from the pain of it and um mm. it seems like talking about like something being four survivors um like uh diana made a really great point earlier um about about hayward and the the him discussing like oh you don't know you weren't here during that five years because for for those the survivors of that it was like obviously devastating to have half the world gone um so being reminded of the the chaos of a disaster almost protecting you from having to grieve about it in the moment and you just being like i have to get through this i don't have time to feel bad about it i just gotta i'll feel bad about it later i'll just i really gotta just get to the end of this day um being reminded of that inclamation by a <laughs> after you see a shark just <laughs> not yeah. feed a starving child was a, was a gut punch. I think what a lot of what you're touching on is exactly why I think this show came out in the right moment in the pandemic. Like, and yeah, that commercial was gut wrenching, but those commercials were so fascinating to me because I felt like they were the things that were the easiest to like go way to much into and to try to interpret and at one point i was convinced that they all had to do with the infinity stones but then it's just like i came up with these like ideas that like here's why it's the infinity stones but it was all like coincidences and like the way that the show just really had you it was almost like what lost was also at the when it first came out where there was like what are the easter eggs what are the hints what are the secret like whatever is going on underneath at all and you're trying to figure out that the whole time and i think those commercials gave you like the the most interesting space for it but at the end of it they were essentially wanda's grief like they the first one with the toaster was actually like the the tick tock tick tock sound of the toaster beeping was that same sound mm -hmm. they used the same sound effect in the episode where they showed her what happened when her family passed away and it's just like incredible Fuck. it's it is you can hear the same like beep 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 countdown and like you go through all of them and like the strucker watch that's the trauma she experienced with strucker in the experimentation you go through them all in that timeline of the commercials really are just like a satire on her grief and so i want to give kudos to the youtube channel new rock stars who pointed out when they predicted in advance that the last one was going to be 
antidepressants because what the commercials all represented mm. was for their era what commercials talk to women about like the early one was really sexist and all that but these were throughout the the eras throughout the decades that they were channeling through the the actual tv sitcoms was those that's what the those ads were for that time and so you come down in the in this day and age right now in the newer episodes the modern family one it's it's antidepressants directed towards women and i thought that was just so fascinating how they did that well, I'll just say that I could tell that the Gogurt commercial was Gogurt immediately from how ugly the claymation was. Oh my god! And yeah. uh, again, shout out to the art department. <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that the show really did that is paralleled by what we see people doing now is how much uh, we see someone retreating into nostalgia to avoid dealing with what they're experiencing in the present and especially like the nostalgia of, you know, childhood television and that, and that way to sort of block out reality. Um, you know, for me, like that's not old sitcoms. Cause like I said, that's just not, I've seen them, but they're I don't really like them, but I'm like, literally, I know I've had a very stressful week and I know when we're done recording this, I am going to watch the Muppet show. Right. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about like just how incredibly metatextual it is for the show to also do that to us as well. I don't know about y'all, but I've seen The Office like a thousand times. And I recently discovered that Peacock has uploaded The Office season three, like the uncut episodes so there's about like five minutes per episode of office scenes i haven't seen when i realized that it was the most comforting thing ever because i'm like this is a show that i could keep on when i'm trying to fall asleep that's going to get my mind off of the realities of the world and the grief that i have to face in the face of this pandemic and just like tune that out and listen to whatever background noises from the office a show that I've taken comfort in and have seen so many times that I won't be like distracted by like, oh, what's happening in the scene and wanting to know I can just close my eyes and tune it out. And I feel like that's what this just like the connection to Wanda and the sitcoms like that resonated so hard to me when I think about my relationship to a show like The Office that's like my go to sleep show. I am way too easily distracted by any kind of narrative to do anything other than watch TV when I watch TV. But like what you're describing is so for is, is like something that people tell me all the time. I just for me, I'm incapable of watching TV without like literally just completely watching TV. <laughs> uh, um, well, thank you all for for joining me. And um, I will. uh let, let our listeners know where they can keep up with your musings and creative output and brilliant political projects on the internet. Do you, do you want to kick us off, Nikki? Oh, hello. Um, you can find me at uh, Black Lois Lane on Twitter. Um, I talk about um, things about comics um, and queer folks. Uh, occasionally, um, there'll be some uh, other nerd uh, focus of mine. Um, but please come by, tell me your opinions on things. 
love to talk and I um, am so happy that I got to speak with everyone here today. Yay. Hey, Diana, where can we find you online? Hey, Diana, can be found at um, Hey, Diana. That's H-E-Y-A-D-I-N-A. For those who are crazy enough to follow me, um, it's a lot of MCU random thoughts because I'll tune into something from the MCU very randomly and then like tweet my thoughts about it. It's a lot of passionate rants about the labor movement. And it's a lot of sad thoughts about what is inevitably going to be an early Michigan crash in the March Madness tournament. So you could follow me if you're interested in any of that. <laughs> really one of the really one of the really excellent labor Twitter accounts. So and obviously Why, follow Unite you. here because oh, yeah, you should they have a great here. Twitter account. Yeah. Why thank you again. I mean, you know, my, my, my former employer from like a thousand trillion years ago. And Asya, where, where should folks keep up with your work online? Um, well, if folks want to find me, you can uh, follow my Twitter feed, my extremely, uh, my Twitter feed with extremely few followers, um, Asya Pikovsky. Um, and uh, you can find their musings on labor policy and the state of the labor movement. Uh, a lot about Amazon workers, because I do comms for Amazon workers. Um, and there are some scattered mostly very cynical thoughts about um, what's happening in Russia today. Those are all things that are of interest to me. So I appreciate them. It's a unique mix. As And I think we are in a moment where a lot of people would like to know more about what's happening with the Amazon workers. So uh, rather than just making shit up. Um, and as for me, uh, I'm on Twitter a little bit too much. E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. Um I want to shout out, uh, I was recently on the podcast Progressively Horrified. Uh, I believe the subtitle is Where We Hold Horror Films to Standards That It Definitely Did Not Sign Up For, or something to that effect, uh, talking about Hellraiser with Jeremy Whitley, B. Khan, and um, Meg Mothma, and like, I had a great time on that. I'm, I'm really happy with that episode, so you guys should totally give me a listen on that one if you enjoy this show. And um, there is obviously more uh, of my DS9 pop podcast, Deep Space Dive, coming your way. And, you know, more interviews of comics, authors, and writers, as, as you might come to expect at Graphic Policy on graphicpolicy.com. I would love to get some new uh, reviews on our iTunes channel. It really does matter. Go and like it, review it, and share it. And as we like to say, keep it geeky.